Sometimes a blank page is the most terrifying thing in the world. Writers know sometimes that blank page stays empty longer than we like. When I was at Dartmouth College in my senior year, I scored a sweet fellowship that gave me all the freedom a writer could desire. Other than the two prerequisites for graduation that I had not checked off my list, the year was mine to hone in on a single project of my choice with a generous budget for research and travel. In all the audacity of callow youth, I decided to write a play about an event in Singapore that had made a big impression on me growing up. Operation Spectrum, also known as Operation Cold Store, also known as the Marxist Conspiracy, was the Singapore government's covert operation that took place on May 21, 1987. 16 people, including lawyers, Catholic church workers, theater practitioners, and overseas graduates were arrested and detained without trial for an alleged scheme to subvert the status quo and establish a Marxist state. There was relentless coverage by the national press. There were creepy public confessions and failed attempts by the detained to establish their innocence in the courts. Many continue to live in exile. The government has never admitted wrongdoing or apologized for its actions, despite mounting evidence that the whole thing had been concocted out of political motivation before a major election. As a teenager, I had my suspicions about the whole affair. We all knew something wasn't right, but no adult was willing to say it out loud. Young people were being arrested for being naive and idealistic enough to want to help the dispossessed in their own way. I dramatically envisioned a time where I might get thrown in jail for bucking the status quo with no one but my family to speak for me. The lack of public support for the prisoners was one of the many reasons I chose to leave Singapore. I ambitiously proposed to write a solo theater work about this sordid slice of Singapore history as my culminating project. I had read my Pinter anthologies, been fired up by Carol Churchill's plays, and amassed a pile of press clippings on every twist and turn of the true tale. I had spent a month in Singapore, surreptitiously interviewing the few players on the periphery of the event that were willing to speak to me at all, including a well-known playwright who would only meet me in a public space and kept asking me if I had been followed. I should have been fired up and ready to go. But that's not what happened. I sat in my beautifully appointed writing room in the Sanborn Library and stared at the beaded wooden walls. They slowly closed in on me, like the prison cells of the artist and activist I wanted to pay tribute to. I read the printouts of the news stories over and over again, trying to find a metaphor, a phrase, something to be a lifeline for the story I had been so certain was inside me. I started and deleted opening sentences over and over again. I took walks across the verdant campus to clear my foggy head, and nothing. My mind and my page stayed blank for weeks. I was too proud to ask for help from my professors, too ashamed to admit that I had bitten off more than I realized I could chew, too afraid to overcome the hurdles I had set in my path. 
Every time I wanted to write, I kept thinking, hasn't this story been told before? And better? Who am I to do this huge and dangerous chunk of history justice? Where do I even begin? The cursor on my laptop blinked accusingly at me every day, all day. The blank screen never wavered, but I did. What I want you to know is that if this happens to you, you are not alone. Writers are dreamers. We pluck the truth from our imaginations. Even when we recalibrate our memories for the page, we engage in an act of courage. We're not always up to the task. We may not be ready to shoulder that burden the way we thought. We might stare at that blank space for longer than we'd like. And when we decide that we're ready to tell a story that's bigger than us, well, sometimes we're wrong about that. But there's no way to know until you try. So forgive yourself, because I did. I was finally able to take one little bite out of the poisoned apple I had plucked for myself. I landed on an oblique metaphor, that of an overly manicured garden. Singapore was known as the Garden City, after all. That gave me a small path into the heart of the story. I created a slight fable that I could bring to a tortured conclusion. I gave myself permission, if not to fail, at least to make a start. I realized that I wasn't ready or able to write the epic rejoinder to the establishment that I had thought, but filling that blank space was still a triumph. I turned in my script, performed it for my classmates and professors, and closed the door to that office in time to graduate. As it turned out, post 9/11 America had a few things in common with Singapore after the Patriot Act was signed. I saw the detentions without trial and renditions to mystery prisons coming a mile away. My theater director in San Antonio offered to remount my piece as a cautionary tale under one condition: Ugh, you have to rewrite about half of this. It's terrible. I gladly agreed. As writers, we can give ourselves a second chance, because a memoir is never really finished, not while we're still living in it. We are never done buffering that true story. Don't be afraid to make a mess when you're getting started. And if you're still staring at that page, remember, you're not alone. <laughs>